0: Hey, good to see you here. You are currently listening to Inspire Church Metro Manila. We are one church in multiple locations, and we exist to inspire people to fulfill their God-given potential. We are so glad that you're tuning in right now. Welcome home. Learn more about us by visiting inspiremetro.live. Lean in and enjoy. Hey, Inspired Church, welcome to our Sunday's Best Online Experience. I am so glad that you are tuning in with us today. It is Sunday. It is a special day because on Sunday, when people of God gather, the miraculous happens. So lean in and prepare for what God has for you. And listen, I'm going to take this moment, literally 10 seconds, to make sure that you share that link and share this message to everybody that you know. Because you'll never know, maybe this message is something that they've been praying for. So, no joke, I'm gonna count 10 seconds 10, nine, share that link, eight, seven, eight, five, four, three, two, one. And I thank you for sharing this message to your family and friends. Hey listen, this is the part three of our series called, He's So Judgy, and our senior pastor, Pastor Mike Kai, will be sharing our message, a powerful message to us today. So make sure you buckle up your seats because it's gonna be wild. Come on, let's listen to this message. Hey
1: everybody, welcome to Inspire Church. I'm so glad that you are here. My name is Mike Kai, I am the senior pastor of Inspire Church. You know, we're continuing our series called He's So Judgy. He's So Judgy. You ever been a judgmental type of person? I've been a judgmental type of person. Every now and then I can slip into that. But I think we would all have this confession knowing that even though we can be critical sometimes, it's not... What we need to be it's not what we need in this world at this time is a critical spirit so when we're talking about he's so judgy we're going to the book of judges and what we're talking about is God on how he is a righteous judge but more than that about judging humanity it's more than that it's about how he raised up a judge and the judge was a savior and a deliverer of God's people that's why we're calling it he's so judgy he is a deliverer and a savior to his people somebody say amen It's so good to be with you guys. I want you to open your Bibles today to Judges chapter 6, Judges chapter 6. And as you're going there in the Old Testament with me in Judges chapter 6, we're going to talk about, to me, one of the most preached people in the book of Judges, not just Samson, but I'm telling you, his name is Gideon. Gideon is an incredible man of God, but before he realizes his potential, there's some things that he goes through as well as the nation. What we begin to see is the cycle of destruction right here on the screen that talks about the disobedience to God, the discipline that God would bring in, the despair of the people, then the deliverance through a judge. And through that cycle of destruction, the common theme through the book of Judges is this, that in those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what seemed right in their own eyes. So now, after 40 years of peace, after Deborah and Yael, how they come in and God uses these two great women To accomplish his purpose, to be a deliverer to the people of Israel. Now we pick it up in Judges chapter 6, uh, verse 1. Judges chapter 6, verse 1, it says that the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Seven years is a long time, everybody. And the Midianites, Were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. So, in other words, to the west coast. Uh, They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, the goats, the cattle, and all of the donkeys. So, in other words, They took all of the livestock in order for them to eat and feed their own armies. Then it says in verse five, well, these enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, for help. So you can see the situation and you can see the scene that the Israelites turned their back on God and as a result of God, them turning their backs on the Lord, what does the Lord do? He sends the army of the Midianites, the Amalekites and the people of the east. Now these are the people that come from the eastern part of the world that are further east of Israel. That would be people from the surrounding region to the south and to the east of them, basically Israel's enemies even to this day. So they would come in and when they came in, they would take all the crops Every time they would plant a crop, they would come in and they would steal the crops. Anytime that they had any livestock, you had to hide it. But anytime you would hear up, <laughs> it would be a signal. And all of a sudden, the Midianites would come down and they'd take your little lamb, your wee, wee little lamb, and they'd take your lambs. They'd take your food. They'd take your livestock. They'd take all your vegetables. You would have nothing to eat. And as a result of that, the people were reduced to starving. As a matter of fact, they were not even starving or just starving. They were hiding. What a terrible place to be in life that you're hiding and you're starving. You never have enough food, and you're always worried about the enemy coming in and taking anything that you might have left. That's how cruel the Midianites were. But we have to remember, we have to remember as people of God, and even people back then, that number one, our again activates consequences. Our again activates consequences. In other words, the Israelites, verse one, did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for how long? Seven years. That is a very long period of time because again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. So what does the Lord have to do? Your again or our again activates consequences. So the consequences of not following the Lord or the consequences of doing evil in the Lord's sight. What would evil in the Lord's sight look like? The worship of Baal and the worship of Ashtoreth. Those are the top two evils that the people did. Not only because they turned their back on God and followed a different God and God was jealous because of that. Yeah, God was jealous about that, but he was more than jealous about that. He was concerned about the welfare of his own people. As a matter of fact, the worship of Baal and the worship of Ashtoreth had everything to do with with pagan worship, that had everything to do with some of the most detestable practices that I'm even concerned about even saying on this screen. We're talking about infanticide, we're talking about babies being born and then offering them as sacrifices, even to the god Molech, and burning your babies in the fire. This is what they would do. Then they would move on with life saying we're good because we already have a solution. It would involve prostitution cults that when you went to this one temple, it was a prostitution cult. There would be high places where the people would go and they would worship, so to speak, and go to these high places. High places and actually hide out. And this is where all the immorality would take place in Israel. And as a result of that, God hands them over to their evil desires. They take it all in, they drink it all in, they eat it all up. But now they were gonna reap the consequences of their behavior. You know, every time we have an again moment, our again actually activates consequences. Now, those consequences could be in different forms, different fashion. It could be different things that are happening to you. Um, as a result of the consequences of going there again. So we've got to remember that our again has consequences. But then it says in verse seven, that when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites, a prophet. And he said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. And I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. Then it says in verse 11, then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah which belonged to Joash of the clan of Ebeza. I want to pause there for a moment because now you look, the people cry out to the Lord. The first thing is this, our again activates consequences. But when we finally had enough and we finally turn back to God and we finally cry out to him, number two, even though our again activates consequences, number two, your cry initiates his redemption. It initiates his savior, his redemption, his process of bringing you back to him, of providing a savior for you. He's already provided for us, his name is Jesus, he's our Lord and our savior, but you understand the concept that even though our again activates consequences, number two, your cry initiates his redemption. So your cry back to God, your cry back to the Lord, how long between an again and a cry? That's up to you, that's up to us. How long between the again and the cry? Well, for Israel, it was seven years. But for us, it could be a moment. For us, it could be a day. Don't linger longer in whatever you're doing and, and, and stave off the redemption and the forgiveness that you could receive from God because you finally turn your back toward Him, your heart toward God. You know, the Bible says in the book of James that draw near to God and He will draw near to you. How many of us want God to draw near to us? We draw near to God. And when we draw near to God, we go to God in our repentance. We go to God in our humility. We go to God with a contrite heart. And when He does that, when we draw near to God, He will draw near to us. Come on, somebody, that's some great news. Put some fire, put some hallelujah hands in there. The raise the roof, I call it the hallelujah hands. Do something with that. And thank God for all that. all of His love. You know, there may be some repeats again, There may be some back-to-back failures in your life or maybe even some three-peats, you know what I'm talking about? But God is faithful to protect and preserve those he loves and they that turn back to him again. Psalm 145 verse 19 says this. He says, he grants the desires of those who fear him and he hears the cries for help and he rescues them. Come on, isn't God so good that no matter even though our again, we are there again, did you do that again? You said that again, you are in it again. But when you cry out to God, he initiates his redemption. Thank God for what he does. Hebrews 4:16 says this. So let us not, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. So even though You need His help. And even though you feel like you've fallen so far away from God during COVID, you used to walk with the Lord closely during COVID, pre-COVID, maybe your pre-COVID practice was a lot better than your your mid-COVID practices. Maybe pre-COVID you were strong, you were excited, you were raising a hallelujah, you were praising the Lord, and maybe you were a, a disciple of Christ that was growing and bearing fruit and incredible things were happening, but then COVID hit. And something else began to hit and something else began to happen. And then before you know it, you can't get into a building wherever you are or maybe in Hawaii you can, but you won't or whatever the reason is. Oftentimes we feel like we need to go to God again. But God says, come to me, come to me. You know, one of the best things that a child could expect out of their parents is they could come before us, not being afraid. You know, my kids when even in their teenage years and even before that would feel like maybe they couldn't come to me because I I was preoccupied or maybe my mind was elsewhere. Maybe I was on work or maybe I had a lot going on and maybe they felt like now is not the right time to bring something up. You know, I'm not perfect. I am a earthly father. And I want them to know you can come to me anytime. But as our heavenly father, he's not too busy. He's not preoccupied. He's not got all kinds of stuff on his mind. I don't want to go to God. God is so busy. You can go to God anytime and approach him. And there, what will you receive? You will receive mercy. That's what we all need in the world like today. Somebody say amen, right? So now when we look at this, the whole picture now is after the prophet comes in, says everything what God did, I told you and I moved on your behalf and I delivered you and I gave you. Now what begins to happen? He drops the mic and literally leaves the scene. But now we pick it up in the next scene. And then the Bible says in verse 11, and then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Ibezer. And Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites, look at that. He is doing things that he should be doing. He's threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press. So, but what do you do when you thresh wheat? So he's threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press, but he's doing the right thing, right? And what, when you thresh wheat, what you need to do is go to a threshing floor. There was a threshing floor of Orana in the Bible. Um, as a matter of fact, when you were threshing wheat, that was a celebration because you brought in all the wheat all the sheaves of wheat, and you were really excited about what was going on. You had an opportunity in order to feed your family because this is going to turn into bread. You know what I'm talking about? So there was no gluten-free back then. There was nobody like, oh, I don't think I like gluten-free. I don't think I like wheat. Too bad. You're going to eat it whether you like it or not because that's all we got. That's all we're serving right now. So you didn't have all those choices back then. So he is threshing wheat. But the problem with threshing wheat. You didn't need this pitchfork yet. What you needed to do was you would scratch and make a lot of noise because what you had to do, there needed to be some crushing, right? Crushing. So you'd be crushing this because you were on the threshing floor and on the threshing floor, you are trying to separate the wheat from the kernel. So you needed to get all of this hay away and get to the kernel. And so This would be the beginning of the process. So after you've gone from the threshing floor and you've been crushing some wheat, and a lot of people feel like you're going under some crushing right now. You feel like you're being crushed under the pressure of life. You feel like you're being crushed by society, crushed by social media, crushed by everything that's going on, crushed financially, being pressed together, and you feel like you are on a threshing floor right now. Welcome to the club. We're all on the threshing floor right now because what God is doing is trying to get the best out of our lives and trying to bring forth some fruit. When I'm talking about fruit, I'm not talking about apples and oranges and mangoes and papayas. Come on, on dragon fruit or coconuts. I've, uh, I would love some of that right now, especially on a weekend. But what I am talking about is the fruit of your life because the fruit of the labor of the people of Israel at that moment was the wheat and the kernel, and then from the kernel, we go to the chaff. So now, in fear of the enemy, what he is doing is he is threshing wheat. He's doing the right thing, but he's doing it in a different place. Now, we've transformed this baptism pool into a wine press, Gideon was threshing wheat at the bottom he was found threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press and what he's trying to do is the first process in the journey of making bread now I've never made bread before from the from the from the kernel uh, from the stalk to the kernel and all of a sudden pounded my own flour I've never done that uh, that's what you have You have people who do that, you have companies who do that. But he's beginning the beginning process and he is beginning to make some noise and threshing the wheat at the bottom of a wine press. You can imagine the noise that that would make up on the threshing floor. So he decides that I'm gonna have to do something just a little bit different. I've got to be innovative, I've got to be creative. This is where he's threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press. Now let's talk about the wine press first. What do you do with a wine press? Well, the first thing that you do, of course you know this, right? Is you get grapes and you put it into the wine, uh, or the, the big vats, and then you put it into the vat and then you would roll up your your pants And you would put them by your knees like you were going to run fast when you were a little kid. You know what I'm talking about? Put your slippers on your hands and you would run. But you would roll up your jeans up to your knees. And then what you would do is you'd put all the grapes on the inside of the wine press. And you would get in and what would you do? You would take off your shoes, make sure your feet were clean. You didn't want stinky feet, right? And then you would walk in and then you'd begin to stomp on the grapes. So he's doing the right thing, but he's doing it in a different place. He's doing it, to some people, you're doing it in the wrong place. What are you doing in that place right now? What are you doing there? That doesn't make sense. But he's not making wine. He's like, there's there's no fruit of the vine at that moment. What he does, he does what he needs to do at that moment. So he's taking his innovation, his determination, he's taking his perspiration, he's taking... Uh, innovation to a whole nother level. And at this time, no matter all the fear that's going around, that everybody is worried, the walls are closing in and the Midianites and the enemy are waiting to listen in on what he's doing. And if they hear a little, a little bit of scratch, a little bit of eking out of a living, he's afraid that the enemy would come down. So what is he doing? He's hiding, doing the right thing in the right, maybe not the most appropriate, and best situation and best place, but he's doing whatever he can with what God gave him. And I really believe that number three, that your hustle, your hustle, actually, watch this, watch this, garners and gets God's attention. Your innovation, your perspiration, your motivation, everything that you need to do and doing something right even in a different setting, your hustle actually gets God's attention. Woo! I've preached this message many times in a different way. But nothing like today when God gave me the revelation that that wine press, even though he was doing the right thing in the wrong place, that wrong place wasn't only because he was afraid it was the wrong place or so that place all of a sudden became the right place. Because in that right place, because why? because God began to affirm what he was doing because his hustle brought God's attention. The Bible says, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary at doing good because at the right time, We will reap a harvest. Do not stop being the right person. Do not stop doing the right things. Do not stop doing it in different places and innovating and creating. When some people are just going to hide in caves and worry till this thing is over, then we're going to come out. When you don't have to wear a mask, then we'll come to church. Or when you don't have to wear a mask, then we'll probably start going to the gym. Start living life. And take every precaution necessary. Every precaution necessary. I feel like dancing right now. This is like, I got, I, I'm cutting up some, some hay. If you can see my feet, man. I'm telling you right now, what I really think is that God showed me this picture. The Holy Spirit kind of revealed this to me, something different that some of us right now, you're doing, you're like Gideon. You're like Gideon and you are threshing wheat at the bottom of the wine press, but that's only step number one. Because after you do that, he's gotta find a place to throw it all up and get all, it's called the winnowing. And what he needs to do is to winnow away the chaff from the kernel, so now he gets purely to the thing that God can use because right now you can't use it while you're threshing, but one day it will be used totally. And God is going through a process in your life right now, that right now you feel like you're being crushed. You feel like you're being scratched. You're just eking out some things right now. But I'm telling you, there's gonna be a part in this process where God's gonna separate some things that you no longer need, that's definitely not useful for your life. And he's gonna take the pure fruit and what he's done and it's gonna feed so many people. Oof. Staff needs to make more noise than that because that was, drop me some fire on this screen, please. Drop me some fire on this screen. Think about this for a moment. Number one, our again activates. Think about this. Our again activates consequences. Number two, our cry initiates his redemption. But number three, our hustle attracts his attention. And God begins to show up And the Bible begins to tell us, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. But look at Gideon's reply. He said, sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? And didn't they say, they brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. He's literally going back to the prophecy when the prophet showed up and said, this is what the Lord says. He's going back to that moment right here. And he's quoting what the prophet said. But look at what the angel of the Lord said. Then the Lord turned to him and said, He said this, go with the strength that you have and rescue Midian from the Midianites. Rescue Israel from the Midianites, excuse me. I'm sending you. But Lord Gideon replied, but how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. Stop, look at me. Do you know the tribe of Manasseh? Do you know that it was called the half tribe of Manasseh? Out of all tribes, all 12, this is the only one that was called and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Naphtali, report yourself. Judah, report yourself. Benjamin, report yourself. And the half-tribe of Manasseh. <laughs> Imagine if you were considered you're the half-tribe. You're not a full tribe. You're not even a quarter-tribe. You're not even a half-slab of ribs, a quarter-slab of ribs. You're not even a full-slab of ribs. You're just a half half-slab of ribs. I'm feeling like I want some... I want some barbecue pork ribs right now on a grill. Mmm, smoked and juicy, tender, pull-apart ribs. That's what I feel like having right now. How about you? But you're not even a half slab. He goes, look at this. He goes, read this. He goes, and I am the least in my entire family. So I am the weakest tribe in the half tribe of Manasseh and the smallest in my entire family. In other words, I'm not even a pork giblet. I'm not even a little McDonald's little riblet. That's who I am, that's who I am. He goes, do you know who you're talking to right now? Do you know who you realize that you're calling me a mighty hero and a mighty man of God, a mighty warrior, but if you saw my family, you saw my tribe and if you looked at my clan and then now you're looking at me and you're thinking I'm the mighty warrior, I'm the one and look at what the Lord says, he says this, He goes, the Lord said to him, I will be with you. I will be with you and I will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting one man. So in other words, Gideon, out of all the hordes of the Midianites, too numerous to count, I will be with you and you will defeat the horde of Midian like you were that they were just one man, just one dude, just one bro. Just one guy, and you are gonna go up against him and I will give you the victory. The angel of the Lord is telling a current fact. This is not fake news, this is real news. He goes, yeah, Israel's in trouble. But the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. No matter where you live in the world, the Lord is with you and he hears it as a philosophical statement and basically asks, if that is true, then why do bad things happen? It's the it, it, it's, it's cry of every heart, of almost every person. What promises do we know that are true, but we don't lean on as truth? Listen to this for a moment. Be careful not to turn God's promises into philosophical platitudes. Pla- philosophical platitudes. Oh, that's nice to, nice to say. If it were true, I'd really believe it. But don't put the blame on God for the condition of a nation or your life for that matter. Your, your perceived abandonment is an opportunity for God to display his atonement. God warned them over and over and over again what he would do if they committed evil in his sight. They were reaping the consequences of their behavior and their lack of devotion to the Lord. But the angel of the Lord, listen to this, but the angel of the Lord shows up and calls him not as he is at that moment, but the way that he sees him. And right now, the angel of the Lord is is Jesus Himself. It is a theophany. It is a theophany, the pre-appearance of Christ before, before His birth. Because the Bible says that God was always there. He was always there in the beginning, In the beginning, he said, let us make man in our own image. John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word. So he was always there. So this is a theophany that Jesus himself, how often did the angel of the Lord appear? Not a lot in hundreds of years, everybody. But when he did appear, he was about to do something big. And his attention was grabbed by a man who was doing whatever he could do in the circumstances that were given to him. Even though he was fearful and he was hiding, he was doing everything that he could do. And it attracted the attention of the Lord himself, Jesus Christ. The innovation, the hustle, the hard work, the the perspiration, the determination in the midst of bad circumstances that they're going through This is just one of the things that God is attracted to. Don't don't think that I'm just putting all of this into only hard work God is attracted to. God is attracted to a lot of things. This is just one of them. And maybe your broken heart is attracting God or maybe the pressure that you are under or maybe the scratch that you are under or maybe you feel like you're being winnowed through with a fork. Maybe you are being sifted like wheat the way Satan said, I want to sift Peter like wheat. And Jesus said that you can't have him. Think about that for a moment. What are the things that attract God? God is attracted to a lot of things. But what you don't want is to repel Him. Because even though He said, I will never leave you and never forsake you, there are things in our lives that just won't please God if we continue doing them. So number one, our again, and again Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord after 40 years of peace. Our again, our again, activates consequences. Number two, but our cry, our cry out to God, God, I need you, God, please forgive me. God, come come to our nation. God, come to this family. God, come into my life. God, invade this house, invade this room, invade my car, whatever it is, God, I need you. Your cry actually initiates his redemption. And number three, your hustle attracts his attention. And number four, watch this, number four, Your willingness actually brings about God's intervention. Your willingness will bring God's intervention, that your willingness to be used will bring God's intervention. Gideon needed some fleeces, Gideon needed some fire, Gideon needed more proof, but we don't need any more proof. How much more proof do we need that God loves you, that God wants to use you, that God has a purpose and a plan for your life? Because your willingness actually brings God's intervention. And when you are willing, a willing vessel saying, here am I, Lord, send me. When you are a person that says, God, take this life. I'm not perfect right now. I know you're working through me and in me. But Lord, you don't use perfect vessels. You use imperfect vessels. And even if you allow yourself in your imperfection to be used by God, God can do so many great things in your life and through your life. See, your willingness brings about God's intervention. Imagine if Gideon said, God, I'm not willing. After all the excuses, like Moses, I can't speak, I can't talk, I stutter, you know. And maybe it was like Gideon, oh, I'm the smallest family. Oh my God, I'm not even a half rib. I'm not even a full rib. We're not even a full slab. He says, God, I'll go. And God says, I'll be with you. I'll do, I'll, I'll walk with you. I'll help you in this journey, in this fight. In fact, I'll fight for you. I'll fight with you. I'll go ahead of you. I got your back. I'll be behind you. And when you have God on your side, because the Bible says, if God is for us, who can be against us? That nobody can stop you. Nobody can stop you. You know, the only person that can stop you, the devil can't stop you. The only person that can stop you is God. But if God's calling you, then the only person left is you and me. Our unwillingness to be used by God. Because I like my life and I love what I do and I love my selfishness and I love love this life and the choices that I have. And God says, well, you can hang on to your life and lose it. Or you can let go of your life and you can gain it. So the unwilling and reluctant warrior, young man, who wasn't a warrior yet, it was Gideon. The only weapon that he had at that moment was probably a wooden pitchfork. The Midianites had likely stolen whatever iron was left in their country or in their tribe. And they were left to make his own tools, to do whatever he could with what he had And God still said, I can win with whatever you've got. He can win with that level of education. He can win with that level of experience. He can win even though you're not fully healed yet. He can win even though you're not perfect and you never will be, by the way. He can do all of those things in your life. And lastly, lastly, that your readiness to be challenged, allows you to bring change your willingness to accept that challenge allows allows so many things to be changed because you're bringing change Gideon it's a long story but it is incredible and in the next couple of weeks and on a deep dive Wednesday we're going to dive more into Gideon and how God actually uses him and brings about that victory. We can't leave Gideon in a wine press, can we? No. We gotta get out of this wine press. And what we need to do is take this message because this is just the first part of Gideon. A lot of people stuck in the first process. And the first process is this: threshing, separating some things, scratching some things out. Don't get left on the threshing floor when God wants to take you up on a hill and what he really wants to do is take you from threshing to winnowing where the wind will blow all of that chaff away and the pure kernel drops to the ground and the fruit of my life and your life that will feed so many more people because you've allowed yourself to be on the threshing floor, and you have allowed yourself not just to be threshed, but to be winnowed so that God can use you in Jesus' name. If that's you today, that if you're saying, Mike, I want to be used by God, Mike, I, 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 want, I, want, I want God to use me, that I want to separate my life for His use, then if that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Would you pray this prayer and say, Jesus, it's come into my life. Separate some things from me and from my life that no longer have any use for you. No more use in your eyes. Served me well in the past, but actually hurt me, kept me in bondage. But God, use my life right now as an offering. I want my life to reflect yours. I don't want to be judgy. Uh, that's not what I want to be reflected and known as. But I want to be known as someone that loves you and is doing the best they can with their relationship and with what God gave them. In the name of Jesus.
0: Thank you, Pastor Mike, for that powerful word. I pray that today, church, that your faith is strengthened through that message because I sure did. And I don't know about you. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what's going on in your life. But to some of us, you might feel like the story of Gideon is somewhat familiar to the story that we are going through right now. I don't know how to answer any of your questions when it comes to that, but here's the thing that I am sure of is that when you surrender your life to God, that all of that hard work, all of that hustling that Pastor Mike was saying, all of those finds its meaning, that your hustling and hustling and hustling finds its meaning, that every grain that you thresh and every wheat that you pressed, those are never wasted in God's eyes. Amen. And so listen to me. I believe that for us to live a purpose-driven life, what we need to do is to have a surrender life to Jesus. I'm going to reiterate what Pastor Mike says. He says that don't get left out on the threshing floor when He wants to take you up on the hill. He's, some of us are left out on the threshing floor. Hustling and hustling but no meaning and no purpose in life. But can I tell you, God wants to level up His relationship with you. I'm not talking about a lucky charm kind of relationship. A Santa Claus or a Gina in a bottle where when there's crisis, that's the only time you're going to call on God. What I'm talking about is a surrendered life, that you are going to involve Jesus in your every day-to-day life. That is what it means to have a full relationship with Jesus. See, the Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, And no one comes through the Father except through Jesus Christ. So if you want that purpose-driven life, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Are you ready? Let's pray. Jesus, we believe that you died on the cross and resurrected from the dead so that my life can be resurrected in you. Forgive me of my sins, be my Lord and my Savior. I surrender my life to you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, listen, if you pray that prayer, can you do me a favor? Can you type in, in the chat, I pray that prayer, or your raise hand emoji. And also, you can type in, I receive Jesus. And our team will be so excited to help you with your next steps. Because listen, relationship takes stewardship. So we want to help you steward your relationship with God well, alright? So if this is your first time, I want you to go to inspiremetro.live and take your next steps. Well, God bless you guys and see you guys soon. Thanks for joining us and for listening to Inspire Church Metro Podcast. Stay in the loop by checking inspiremetro.live.